everyone. Thanks for joining. This is Seeking Sustainability Live. I'm JJ Walsh, your host in Hiroshima, Japan. And today I'm talking with Takayuki Kokon, who's a corporate executive in Shinjuku City, so right in the center of Tokyo in Japan. Thank you so much for joining, Takayuki. Thank you for having me. Now, we're, today we're going to be talking about、uh, how. Companies and corporations can strategize to think about how to include social impact or environmental impact in their operations and in their planning and future strategies. You've worked for a lot of really interesting businesses over the years. Before we talk in detail about some of these ideas, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background? Okay,、um, just simple uh, my uh, business background.、Uh, I started working as a, a management consultant at a company called AT Carney. And then after that,、uh, I joined、uh, Mabuchi Motor, which is a, a manufacturer which specializes in、uh, manufacturing small、uh, DC motors, electric motors. And I worked at the、uh, mainly corporate side. So, for example, corporate planning division and administrative division, like、uh, HR, human resource, or finance, or investor relations. And I, had,、uh, I worked there for 14 years,、uh, actually 17 years. And then、uh, from this April, I joined a company called MyStar Engineering, which is an engineering service、uh, company which、uh, provides engineers for maintenance of equipment and stuff, but mainly at the administrative side.、Uh, so I am not a, a sustainability expert in any means, but I, I used to work in、uh, investor relations side. So I, I know a little bit about、uh, what the investors are saying to Jap- Japanese companies and what the Japanese companies are doing,、uh, you know, what kind of activities they are having. So I have a little bit of idea on that part, I think. Yeah, great.、Um, and, and I feel the same. I, I am always learning, you know, like I, people say, oh, you're a sustainability expert.、Mm. And I'm like, well, I have a lot of stories and I have a lot of experience, but man, I am not an expert. Like, can anybody really say they're an expert? <laughs> right? Like, there's right. always something new to learn. So I、yeah. appreciate your insights so much.、Uh, Louise joined us from New Zealand. Thanks for joining, Louise. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Kearney. I, I、mm-hmm. saw their website and I found it so interesting.、Yes. I love how their website, they write about articles which have environmental impact or social、mm. impact, and their website makes it very clear that they care about people.、Mm. And I thought, in terms of best practice, this was a really nice design for an、mm. international consulting firm. How was your experience working there? Yes,、um, I joined right after graduating from university, and it was a very、uh, interesting place. You know, I had a lot of interesting projects. And yeah, as you said, they、uh, stressed that、uh, people development and,、uh, is the most important. So I had a lot of、uh, training opportunities and had a lot of inter- interesting projects. And, Um, mainly, they focused on the、uh, operation side projects. So, I had a lot of,、uh, do, did a lot of operation projects with、uh, many Japanese clients. So, I had a really good time. 
Yeah, this is this is something in terms of how your company shows itself mm. to the public is a very important part of your mm. brand. And I so when I look at their website, I know that they are doing charitable work mm -hmm. just by looking at the picture. I know that they care about diversity, right? right? I right. know that they are thinking about environmental issues. Right. And so immediately I kind of have an idea what kind of company this is or mm. what is the company mission. Mm. And I, I would suggest more Japanese companies uh, adopt this kind of practice to mm. be very transparent, right. um, even on your website to mm. have transparency. And I also noticed this on Mabuchi as well, but right. I thought this was a great example. Mm. Yes. These these are, of course, issues that uh, a lot of SDGs are related to or ESGs mm -hmm. are related to is gender balance and diversity and inclusion. Um, let's look at the Mabuchi Motors website as well, which is right. also a great example. Yes. Did you work at all with um, investor relations or talking about ESGs when you were at Mabuchi Motors? Yes, uh, actually, I was in charge of uh, I, uh, IR investor relations for the last uh, maybe five years at Mabuchi. So I had a quite a lot of um, experience with investors. And actually, the uh, ESG topic came along, I think, around uh, 2018 or 19. So it's relatively new. Before that, we really didn't have any discussion with the investors. They all, all they were really interested in the you know ROEs and the dividends and the perform financial performance. But after maybe 2018, 2019, this topic really uh, frequently came, and so we uh, kind of explained what we are thinking and what we are trying to do. And so it, it kind of started really in this two three years, I guess. Yeah, I thought um, Mabuchi is a very international company. Mm -hmm. um, so it's great that they have a very multilingual, very uh, clear and transparent uh, website. We're also in many different languages. So mm -hmm. if anybody's wondering, what is ESG? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so environment, uh, S is for society. So, yes, yeah, social, yes. G is for governance. governance right. Which which do you think is the hardest? Or all they are all three are hard. Right. Uh, I think uh, environment is the hardest if you really think about the you know global warming and stuff now. But it's also a business opportunity as well. So you know if you because we need technology to solve the uh, environmental problems, you know. The society part is really, um, I think the Japanese are very uh, long have been, you know, uh, they, the, the company's basic idea is to prosper with the society. So the society part, I think the Japanese companies are pretty well, well run. And the government part, governance part is difficult, but it's, it's, you know, it's straightforward. So not, so I think environment is the most challenging. Yeah. In some ways, I think environment is maybe the easiest because it might be the easiest to understand. Mm -hmm. um, so if you think about energy use right. or if you think about waste management or you mm -hmm. think about resource use, 
uh, it seems very clear how mm -hmm. to improve, right? Right. But sometimes the social side is more complex, right? Mm. How do you take care of your own stuff? Mm. How do your products affect the customers and the communities where your products are sold mm -hmm. or the resource areas where your products ingredients come from, right? right. It's, it's sometimes right. a little bit more complicated, especially mm -hmm. for an international company, right? Yes, yes. And then governance, maybe governance is also pretty straightforward because mm -hmm. it's about management, it's mm -hmm. about compliance, it's about a lot of things which are already deeply embedded mm -hmm. in how to run a company, right? Right, right. I, I, was, I was encouraged to see um, the one of the data mm -hmm. things, and I only made a screenshot of the environment one, Yes. But it's wonderful to see that they have a target not mm -hmm. to use coal. And right. so they have zero for yes. coal mm -hmm. and that they're using renewable energy. And so that yes. is decreasing their use of um, fossil fuels. Right. But also they have a target for things like catching rainwater, right. uh, right. waste right. management, um, how, how much support of people on maternity leave mm -hmm. they have. So there were so many great, uh, there's a lot of great clear data about the environment, but also right. about their social impact side. So I, I thought Mabuchi Motors did a, is doing a very good job in how they present themselves, how mm -hmm. they present their brand right. to the public. Yes, yes. Actually, they had uh, they uh, launched a, a sustainability committee last year, and they you know set all the targets for, for example, female uh, managers ratio and all, all the stuff, uh, all the stuff you mentioned. So you know they are kind of forming the uh, you know the team to tackle all these issues. But you know all these issues has to be done by every employee. So it's it's a comp company-wide activity. So it would take time to reach the target, but it's a good activity, I think. Oh, no, it's it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. And it's wonderful to make targets and keep reassessing yeah. where are we now? Mm -hmm. Where do we want to go? How do we get there, right? Mm -hmm. That right. is so key for mm -hmm. sustainability right. for businesses as well as in your own house, in your mm -hmm. own life. Yeah, right. Uh, let's talk about my star mm -hmm. a little bit, your current company. Yes. And one of the things that I saw on their website, which I mm -hmm. really like, mm -hmm. is elderly recruitment. Right. Can you tell us about that? I love that policy. Yes. Um, so um, we have a subsidiary company called MyStar60, which is uh, we hire or you know people over 60 years of age. So we our basic idea is that uh, you know people want to work for you know Japanese have a retirement age set by law, which is 60 years currently 65. But you know but people would, are very healthy still, so they want to work. So. We want to support those elderly people, and uh, people would uh, need, you know, the society would need their uh, work as well. So we support that. And currently, Japanese uh, as a country is losing the uh, work work uh, 
population. So everyone is looking for elderly people, but we, MyStar has been doing this work for uh, decades. So even before, you know, people start uh, focusing on the senior people. So we, we are a company that focus on people. We think the people are the most important. And, you know, that's why we went uh, private. We were a public company, but we went private two years ago via NBO, management buyout. So that, that explains our company philosophy, I think. Wow, interesting. And your company is doing hotel, hotel uh, as well as entertainment, as uh, well as mechatronics, is that right? Yes, yes. So for factory equipment, factory equipment, hotel equipment, facilities. So we do the maintenance work for the those, uh, you know, uh, machines, equipments that require, you know, te technical uh, background. There's a lot of gains uh, in terms of efficiency mm -hmm. that you can make by having that kind of influence on right. how a business operates, right? Right, right. So uh, let's get to some of your slides that mm -hmm. you sent me. Right. Can you tell us what is the typical reaction Right. of Japanese businesses in terms of SDGs or making sustainability targets? How do most Japanese companies think about it and try to implement it? Right. So, uh, like I said in the, uh, your inter uh, in the question, Japanese, uh, it, this became a topic for Japanese companies like at around 2018, 2019. So sustainability, yes, yes, DGs, those became a hot topic around that time. Uh, but uh, also many Japanese thought that, uh, you know, uh, sustainability is what Jap Japan has been doing for, you know, decades or centuries. So that was uh, one part of the, uh, what we had in mind. So typically there were like three different, uh, I think, uh, reactions, I think, the Japanese companies had. The first one would be like, you know, um, the uh, good companies, I would say, the means of rediscovering their purpose. So, you know, the, they kind of think deeply about the purpose of their company, uh, what, they, what kind of contribution they have to the society, and they, they you know, uh, come up with something very um, deep in, deep insighted so uh they become a top player in the esg uh area as well so they are already a leading company and they further solidify their uh, position so they, they're the companies that uh take this trend and take it deeper into their essence and the the third part the one that is in the bottom is also i think a typical reaction from a japanese company which is kind of disregard this uh, movement saying that okay so sustainability is kind of like a sampo yoshi in uh, japanese sampo yoshi means sampo means uh, three sides and yoshi means good so the business has to be good for three sides which is the buyer the seller and then the society so this is a very kind of a old Japanese way of thinking. And many Japanese companies uh, have that idea. So many Japanese companies would say, you know, well, this concept is not new for us, so we don't need to do anything. And this is, you know, kind of the Western people saying something that is already familiar for us, that kind of reaction, right? 
but in reality, the world is changing. The you know the global warming is uh, going on. The, all those so social you know issues are rising up. So we have to update, but those companies kind of refuse to update, and so that's the kind of the worst reaction, I think. And I think the majority of the Japanese companies are in the middle, which is like busy following formal requirements. So. Like, you know, there's a lot of buzzwords, ESG, SDGs, TCFD, SASB, all those different things. And you have to have, you know, you have to disclose everything. You have to, you know, have this certificate. You have to do a lot of work and they are busy doing the work and they are doing the disclosure part or they're do doing the, you know, um, analysis part. But in reality, they, the business fundamentals are not changing. So actually they're just, you know, doing the disclosure part or doing the you know the requirements part which is not an ideal uh, reaction i think um and then for what you said before was really interesting mm -hmm. that a, a lot of companies are kind of resistant mm. to adopting these policies thinking mm. we're already doing enough like right. we are we are already taking care of the customer we are already mm -hmm. taking care of the other businesses we work with we are already doing a good enough job right. in terms of compliance for mm -hmm. what the government is asking us right um and then you said a lot of uh companies fall into the middle category mm -hmm. of feeling very busy just mm -hmm. keeping up with the japanese requirements or mm -hmm. international requirements right right is that right right that's right. Do they usually have like a staff or a department who is just managing these requirements for sustainability? Or is it usually a person's job and then an extra job to manage this? Actually, um, most of the companies have this, uh, the team and the investor relations department. I think it may be a separate team because the uh, activities are so different and they've the, so the disclosure side is done by the uh, IR team, which is the sustainability team, but the activity itself is kind of like a corporate-wide activity. So we need to have form a you know, corporate-wide team or the corporate planning division has to take the leadership role or something like that. But many uh, Japanese companies, I think, are not successful in bridging those two. So the only the disclosure team is working very hard disclosing the what it is, but maybe coming up with the goals or the targets or the new business model or something like that. You know, it, it needs the corporate-wide uh, involvement, but not succeeding in bridging. That, that I think, is what many Japanese companies are uh, struggling with. Do you, I, and I've noticed this in mm -hmm. the companies where you've worked at, including the one you're working at now, right. um, they always include team building yes. and group dynamic uh, communication within the company, right. as well as many good companies in Japan mm -hmm. have like a hotline mm -hmm. or uh, an anonymous uh, question box from right. the right. staff. Mm -hmm. so that they can keep open lines of communication, not just top down, mm -hmm. but more open communications across levels. Is that right? Right. Yeah, that's that has been uh, J Japanese companies have been doing that for years. And and, you know, 
it has become more and more important because if the people use the hotline and don't get the results, they can go to the SNS and, you know, reveal some things to the public. It's very easy right now. So it's even more important right now. And I think Japan, Japanese companies are uh, basically uh, doing uh, good enough for the most part, right? So some, some companies have a problem in governance and kind of try to hide the problem, but, you know, but most of the companies are doing fine, I think. That's really interesting what you said mm. about um, using social media. Mm. That for me, I'm, I'm always recommending that uh, companies think more about their brand, including social media. But it's right. such a new, it's still new right. for a lot of traditional companies in Japan. Mm -hmm. And they don't, they don't really get that interaction between the customer online is actually a really important part of your brand. Right. So quite a lot of Japanese companies, they'll have a YouTube channel with beautiful mm -hmm. videos like commercials, mm -hmm. but they turn the comments off. Mm. Right. 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 <laughs> and I, I was like, no, that's a missed opportunity. You know, yes, like yes. you might have some negative comments. I understand mm -hmm. that. But you have to leave that line of communication possibility open. Right. right? Or they might have uh, Google reviews, but they don't reply to them, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. use the social media in an interactive way, yeah. which is kind of new for traditional companies, right? Right, right. Yeah, traditional companies want to make it very organized, right? So they don't want kind of spontaneous uh, reactions and, you know, those things, good things happen, but also bad things may happen. So yeah. they want to kind of want to have control and that that would be the typical uh, reaction I think that's why I'm so grateful that you were willing to join me on this live stream talk show today thank you so much <laughs> thank you <laughs> I know it's scary but no it's... no no <laughs> but I'm talking as a uh, you know individual person I, I don't you know represent any company okay you know yes yeah. <laughs> No, it's very important. And I think to to have a way for people to ask questions or make comments online is, mm -hmm. is a real part of the modern business style right. that uh, needs to be thought of a little bit more in right. Japan. Yeah, could right. be improved. Right. Uh, let's talk about your next slide. You talk about the midterm plan syndrome. Yes. So, um, Actually, on the slide before, I I mentioned that Japanese many Japanese companies are busy following the you know requirements, and this is one uh, also a typical uh, you know uh, reaction from Japanese companies. So uh, in the corporate governance uh, corporate governance policy uh, area, you know the uh, in the stock market, you know Japanese companies were thought to be not transparent, and they had you know they had to be more, more open to the investors. And so, you know, the that kind of movement happened maybe like uh, 15, 20 years ago, and Japanese companies became more and more open. And many of the Japanese companies, and that, that move itself is a very good move, I think, you know, because it's good to be transparent. It's good to, you know, have a, a, be aware of the cost of capital, ROE, and stuff. That's important for the investors. I understand that. But many Japanese companies kind of um, follow their guidelines, but also kind of uh, 
made this uh, midterm plan. So that's a, like a midterm commitment to the investors for three to five years, which might seem to uh, be sounds like a good idea, but actually this is a, one of the worst idea I think for Japanese com companies. The reason is that you know midterm is like three to five years, which is not a long enough term to make a you know substantial meaningful commitment to you know a very innovative activities like a game changer so like you know for example google amazon it, it takes them you know 10 years 20 years to build that kind of a big achievement but three years of it is very short time for do for that but on the other hand you know three years is uh too long of a period for uh to make a meaningful commitment so what happens is they kind of make a a midterm plan that is just just right you know just just a good nice number so year one you get a little bit better year two you get a little bit better and you have a year three leap that kind of you know plan and they make that plan and they disclose it to please the investors but in reality what happens is and during you make that plan uh, you kind of try to uh, shed away all the long-term activities because they don't contribute to those three-year plans and what happens is they try to make a number that is kind of not realistic or kind of not appealing to the uh, company members, but they kind of kill the uh, innovative activities. And then the next year you make a new business plan, the next year you make another plan. So, you know, they get into the cycle where they lose the innovation and they lose the commitment and they think numbers are more important than purpose or, you know, they're, uh, the means of their company and you know they kind of lose sight of that and that has happened i think to many uh, japanese companies and i i'm afraid the same thing might happen for those companies that are busy meeting the esg requirements right so this is a chance to re make make a company renew your company and make it a totally new company but if you are busy too busy meeting the requirements of the you know the uh kind of disclosure activities, then you miss the point, right? So that, that's what I mean by Mr. Plant Syndrome. So that's really interesting. And we're going to yeah. talk about uh, long term successful companies mm -hmm. later in Japan, mm -hmm. the companies who've lasted more than 300 years, right? But right. I imagine that those companies are planning well ahead mm -hmm. of compliance. Mm. And we actually talked about this yesterday with mm -hmm. um, TerraCycle Loop Company mm -hmm. that I said, is it difficult to recruit businesses in Japan to this new style, which has less waste? Mm -hmm. And he said, actually, so many big successful companies are already thinking about it. Mm -hmm. They're already planning, how can we reduce our waste? Right. How can we improve our sustainable brand? Mm -hmm. So when we talk to them, they're already on their way to mm -hmm. improve. So it's mm -hmm. actually not so difficult to convince mm -hmm. them mm -hmm. that this might be good for them. So mm -hmm. this is a really interesting problem, isn't it? If you, right. if you only make your plan with a short time frame, mm -hmm. it's like you said, it's very difficult to have a game changer. Right. And it's it's kind of difficult to reach big goals within right. a short time or a right. medium time, right? Mm -hmm. So right. you kind of already have to have the company mission 
in the right direction. Yes. And then making smaller goals maybe would be easier. Is mm -hmm. that right? Right. So yeah, in the past, Japanese companies were good at you know having a long-term view, and you know the example would be Torei uh, is uh, famous for carbon fiber, which is used for like aircrafts and you know cars. They it took fifty years for them, uh, five zero fifty years for them to make it a real business. So that kind of long-term investment would never happen if this mid-term plan thing is you know is kind of. Uh, your main, you know, topic within the company. So yeah, yes. Do you do you want to talk about the long companies now, or come back to it later? Oh, oh yeah, this is yeah. I I would talk about them. So uh, about the long companies. Um, um. So Japan has uh, many uh, long long lived companies, companies with a long history, and actually, so. In terms of sustainability, there are many companies that we can, you know, learn from in Japan. So, just to give you the uh, overview of that, uh, so the number of companies with history of more than 100 years of, you know, company history in Japan, there are uh, 26,000 of them. So it's like, you know, so many of them, and. Even with companies with more than 200 years of history, there are just around 1,200 of them. And that is like 43% of the world so is concentrated in Japan. So this is a very long, uh, you know, live, long lived companies are concentrated in Japan. And for years 300 years old and older, there are 600 of them. And uh, Actually, 69 of them have uh, annual sales of more than 5 billion Japanese yen. So it's not like those, you know, family companies that only have five employees or something like that. It's it's uh, many big companies that have very um, big social impact, which has more than 300 years of um, history. And, you know, uh, the business school called Globus ha has done an extended research on these the 69 companies and what they have in common why can they sustain their business for more than like 300 years so that that was a very interesting uh, study so i wanted to share with you the people who is listening as a hint for sustainability i think that's really interesting yes. um when i was teaching business at Fatih university students mm -hmm. i always gave the example of kikoman Right. Kikomand uh, had a very long-term vision of how to survive yes. and actually a very traditional Japanese soy sauce company, mm -hmm. but uh, the founder wanted to get near mm -hmm. the key ingredient, soybean, which was right, not right, grown right. in Japan. So mm -hmm. he actually moved a lot of his operations to America. Mm. And then it was very interesting how they developed kind of a Japanese group dynamic and supporting mm -hmm. your workers and a lot of Japanese work principles mm -hmm. to the American market as well. Do a lot of these long surviving companies have a, like a presence in other countries as well as Japan? Yes, I think, uh, for example, uh, I think uh, Gekkeikan is a company that uh, makes uh, Japanese sake. I've seen Gekkeikan in the United States. I've also seen in Australia. So, you know, they, they are selling globally as well. 
and also a Sumitomo Metal Mine and uh, Okaya is uh, they also have global networks. They they uh, are a trading company for steel and metal and stuff. But they do all all, all sorts of different business as well. So many of the companies that I mentioned that has more than five billion uh, sales, they have a global footprint as well. Yeah, and are very well known worldwide. This is very unusual to have such a long running successful business, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. Do you want to talk about um, this slide a little bit? What these companies have in common? Yes. Okay. So. Um, so the study by Globus shows what kind of common traits those uh, long-lived companies, the ones with uh, 300 or more years of history and have uh, more than 5 billion uh, sales, those companies have in common. And some of the things are you know, very uh, easy to imagine. For example, they think long-term relation is more important than short-term profit. Those things I think uh, many of you can imagine. Uh, and also, you know, they are within their means in good times. So they don't invest too much on good times. And in the bad times, they make bold decisions to reinvent themselves. So that's how they get the longevity, I think. That part, I think, is kind of understandable, right? So that's, uh, I think that will be the part. And the part uh, that really uh, was interesting for me was the part two and three. And the, the second part is that they, have a long-term relation not only with the employees but with the local communities and the long-term relation with employees is kind of really um i would say unique so two other companies for example Gekkeika and okaya they have they uh, they hold an anniversary ceremony for ex-employees passed passed away so this is a typical japanese tradition you you have a, a buddhist ceremony for of people who passed away like three years after their passing away, for example, to show respect and you know show gratitude toward those people and the ancestors. But th these companies do that up to 50 years. So I, I've never heard of some family doing that for 50 years, but they have that kind of relation with their employees. So it's it's not it's more it's more than a lifetime employment, I would say. That's and, amazing. Right. Now that that must just be for employees who work there for many years or employees right. who were top of the company that's not all the staff right it's not all the staff but <laughs> the people who retired not only the bosses or the you know executives all the that's staff amazing that, yes. yeah so and they are still continuing this tradition which is really important as well so they have a totally different uh way of thinking about employees it's it's like one of their families which is which, which makes them think long term as well, I think. And also, um, they think of themselves as, you know, a part of their community, a essential part of the community, but I, they think the community itself is essential as well. So they make big donations to their uh, local, you know, uh, local society, for example, like uh, Port Harbor, or, you know, in case of Higeta, they uh, are in Cho. Choshi City, which is the east side of Chiba Prefecture, near the uh, ocean, the climate there is essential for their east, which is essential for their soy sauce. So they think the local climate, the local communities, essential for their soy sauce. They they will not be here without them. So what they do is they donate to the port harbor for the fishermen, which 
actually doesn't have nothing to do with their soy sauce, but it's important for their local community. Also hospitals and you know uh, roads, railways, they invest in those or donate in those for the local community to you know grow with themselves. So that kind of investment or they uh, do many important you know uh, for example, neighborhood uh, gatherings or uh, chamber of commerce, those kind of outside activities they become a, a major part of the activity. So their um, relation with the local community is not nothing like you know, company versus government it's it's kind of as a one of the one part of a whole family some like relation and that's usually thought of as csr right corporate right. social responsibility but you're saying it was always embedded in right. how they did business with right. local charities or local organizations or helping their local community right. that's wonderful I think um, I think the basic idea is like they is it's like you know they are kind of for example like a liver in in your body right so the liver can outgrow the body the body has to be healthy for the liver to be healthy so it's the the local community comes first so CSR is like you know I have responsibility outside but I think it's the other way around for these uh, long-lived companies. That's really interesting. What is, is now I heard this uh, mm -hmm. when I was researching the talk yesterday, what is the role of a business or what is the role of a company? Uh, I think the role of the company is to, uh, for, I think, uh, I'm just guessing because I haven't direct uh, access to these companies, but I think it's a way of contributing to the society. I think, I think that is what, these uh, companies are thinking. So it, the, the purpose of business is not to make profit, but profit is, uh, you know, uh, we need profit to for the business to continue, but that is not the purpose, I think. And that, that idea is very uh, deep inside their, uh, these companies, I think. That's so important to have as part of your DNA right. that you need to make money. Of course, that's mm -hmm. you won't be sustainable otherwise. Right. But you also really need to take care of people and planet or you won't survive either. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. Yes. Um, should we go to the next slide okay. about the topics? OK. Yes. OK, go ahead. Right. So. Um, how are the Japanese uh, Japanese companies doing in this uh, sustainability area was the question I was uh, kind of digging into. And I think, you know, many, um, we don't have a, a big presence, I think, globally, especially in the ESG areas. And uh, this, this is kind of, but I think the Japanese uh, companies are uh, basically doing fine. That, that's what that's what I thought was the message. and. This is a, uh, from the financial part. Uh, this is a slide or the, uh, the, the chart that came with, along my uh, computer, which was very interesting. Is, you know, in the financial area, uh, Japanese companies are not doing well compared to the United States. The you know, S&P 500 companies are outperforming Japan and you know, Japan is not good. Japan is you know, falling behind. Th that's the you know, general uh, 
conception or general understanding, I think. But the chart shows that if you take away five companies, which is GAFA, uh, Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, and Microsoft, if you take away those five companies from S&P 500 and make it S&P 495, basically the stock performance is identical with the J Japanese topics, which means that you know the five companies, the, the five giant genius companies are vastly out outperforming, but the remainder is like basically the same. So um, I think this has a couple of um, uh, lessons or implications, I think. Uh, first of all, you know, it, you have to see the total picture, I think, you know, only, you know, uh, seeing the, a couple of examples and saying everything is not working, that that is not true. That is one thing. And the, another thing is that I think this is a typical uh, distribution of growth. So some of the geniuses hit a big home runs and they they kind of uh, do the growth part, while the others are maintaining their uh, you know position, I think. So uh, as a business, we have a tendency to grow every every company, every division for ten percent growth, but that's not really probable. What, what you need to do is some companies might not grow at all. Some, some companies might grow only 3%, but some companies might grow 900%. And those 900% are the, you know, the game changers. So, you know, so that's, I think, is the lesson here. So you have to have a home run or you have to have a big, you know, hit in order to grow 10%, I think. Like that, that I think, is the idea. And so there are several different ideas here. But yeah, that's what I thought was interesting here. Yeah, that is really interesting. And uh, there's a lot of small and medium-sized businesses in Japan, mm -hmm. um, which might be affecting that. So when mm -hmm. you took out the big players, right. um, Amazon, Facebook, Apple, they're all connected to social media. Isn't that right. amazing? Yeah. Yes, right. <laughs> they, they were not existing 30 years ago. So, you know, that's amazing how it changed changes yeah, really yeah and then your your next slide about japan is number one in sustainability in terms of formality can you take yes. us through that slide right so um the the snp 495 slide was saying that japanese are doing uh, quite well in average i would say and the next slide is you know in terms of uh, esg sdgs uh, actually, Japan is uh, do one of the uh, top performers, I would say, in actually informality, that is. But uh, so, for example, uh, the number of Japanese companies that issued an integrated report, which is uh, which includes financial and then ESG, social responsibility, all that in one package, that kind of report, which is kind of required from the investors recently. Uh, the number of companies that issue that is growing. And in 2018, the number of companies, Japanese companies issuing was the most in the world, uh, if you compare company to com uh, country to country. So it was already ahead in 2018 and the growth is even steeper after that. So I didn't catch the recent uh, you know, statistics, but I, I still believe that Japan is number one in terms of, you know, the reporting and integrated reports. And likewise, if you look at the left, uh, right hand side, number of companies supporting 
TCFD, which is Task Force on Climate-Related Financial D Disclosures, which is kind of one of the SDGs uh, movement around the world. The number of companies that support this activity, Japan is also number one in that. So uh, as I said in the uh, former slide that Jap Japanese companies are very busy doing the disclosure part, I think this is kind of uh, characterizes the what what Japanese companies are doing, which is not a bad thing, but if you stop here, then it doesn't mean anything. So I think this is a good start, but the fundamental part has to follow this uh, trend, I think. Wow, interesting. Um, let's talk about some best practice examples. Right. You've got Cow and mm -hmm. uh, one more company. Azai. Azai. Yeah. Right. So, so among those companies, uh, these two are very uh, large companies, famous companies in Japan, also in global. And I think their activities in, in uh, SDGs, ESG, was very interesting. So I would like to introduce. One of them is Azai, which is a pharmaceutical company, uh, which is recently is, is became really famous, I think, in the US as well, because they uh, developed a, a medicine for Alzheimer disease, which was approved by the FDA, I think. Uh, but they have a lot of different uh, medicine as well. Uh, what they are very um, interesting is that they build a concept called ROESG, which combines the ROE and the ESG part. So uh, usually the uh, conventional wisdom, uh, the uh, idea is that, you know, if you take finance, you know, we, it's, it's difficult to follow the ESG. If you take ESG, it's difficult to have financial performance. That is, it's a trade-off. That is the, you know, common way of thinking. But uh, AI says that's not true. They they integrate those both indexes and they made a financial correlation analysis, a deep analysis, and found out that all these uh, activities uh, activities make a positive impact toward financial performance in the long run. So, for example, if you make R and D investments, that will become a cost. So that would uh, worsen your financial performance this year but if you look into the time span of 17 years it would make a positive impact the same would be said with employing the people with the disabilities right so that might be a cost of course that's a, a you know uh, that's a responsibility but what it's saying is that might be a cost in the short term but if you look at 11 years it would be a positive even as a financial uh measures. Same with the, uh, you know, personnel cost and female managers. Personnel cost is interesting because when we want to improve performance of financial performance, what, what we typically do is we cut the people, right? So that, that way we reduce the cost. But based on the research with AZI, if you look at five years span, it's uh, actually better to have people in, which might be not good in short term. And in five years, if would uh, build a positive return to the company. So they kind of build this framework where, you know, they kind of say ESG is actually a positive in a financial way as well. And they are communi communicating with the investors in that matter, which is, I, I think, really uh, interesting. And these kind of activities would enhance the companies to dive more deep into the ESG activities, I think. 
And in their main business side, they uh, kind of do this free supply of uh, kind of uh, tablets to the developing companies for to eliminate lymphatic philosophies, whatever it is. And so it's kind of a disease that is uh, causing many uh, ch children, I think, in the developing countries uh, to suffer. And they are providing the medicine for free. And the interesting part is that they are not doing this as a donation kind of thing. They they calculate the long-term return and they think this is a net positive, even if you provide the medicine for free because the economic would grow and the people would get, you know, uh, richer and they would return as a, you know, market or as an employee. So they have a net positive. So they kind of tie the activities financially and make it kind of justify those activities. But I think that's very interesting and a meaningful way to make this activity sustainable as well. So that's, that's really interesting, thing. isn't it? Investing yeah. in people. Yes. Even investing in people outside your country. Right. I mean, helping people who have a, a health crisis yes. and thinking of them as potential customers mm -hmm. or potential employees. That's right. wonderful. Right. And the other example is cow, which is uh, uh, which makes cosmetics and you know shampoos and soaps and those uh, things, and they have a, a activity called Kirei Lifestyle Plan, which is an ESG plan. What is unique about them is that they have an external advisory board, which is you know they gather all the uh, specialists from all over the world that form an advisory board and they give them the advice of what is the main topic that you should consider or you know what what you should act on etc etc so it's very rare for a japanese company to have that kind of uh, advisory board for activity like this you know they many japanese want to make it internal but this is uh, i think relatively new and also you know they uh involve this all the stakeholders in uh trying to prioritize which ESG activities are important for them. So they not only thought of themselves, but they gathered all the stakeholders and see, uh, gathered their opinion on what is important for the cow to work on, which is, I think, a very open and good way of doing things. And some of the activities, they, they uh, ma made them into the uh, products. For example, Attack Zero is a a laundry detergent which is which is kind of the bottle and the production system and the uh, product itself is very uh, pro uh, environment yeah using uh, recycled material making yes. the bottles and uh 22 percent lifestyle co2 reduction right so um re reusing waste materials as a right. part of the the supply chain, I guess, as a part of their new resource source ingredients for new products. Yes, and also in in the process of you know uh, uh, moving the uh, rinse rinse cycle in the in the machine washing machine, it uses less water and less less electricity, so you don't need rinsing. Uh, so as as a result, the total uh consumption of co2 is reduced 
And then I saw also on their website in the same mm -hmm. uh, key day lifestyle plan right. uh, section, they're talking about the actual detergent is also safer to be uh, released into the environment, into right, the ocean right, as right. well. So there's so many components to think about for the yes. packaging, for recycling, but also for the effect on the environment after use, right? right, it's, right. it's very complicated. Right. But it seems like they have a very good plan. Yes. Um, can you tell us about ant motivation? <laughs> okay, yes. Um, so actually, um, this was a study I did with uh, other people, with uh, Nonaka uh, Ikuzero uh, Sensei, which, who's a master in uh, management. Uh, and uh, we we kind of did a research on ants because you know ants are live much longer much much longer than human in this world so they know something more about sustainability i think and many of things i think that i found was very interesting which kind of uh, makes us uh, think different about maybe growth and productivity that's what that's the main message i want to uh, share here and the first slide is that uh, the ants, if you think about ants, um, I think the typical uh, image of ants is they are hardworking and they are always working and they are diligent and, you know, but if you look really deep in, inside the nest, what we find out is that only 30% uh, of the ants are working at any given time. The remainder, the seventy percent of the ants, are not doing anything meaningful at that at any moment. So that's very different from what we what our image is about ants. And if you look at the extended period of time, uh, only twenty percent of the ants are working all the time. So they're only twenty percent are hard workers, and maybe twenty percent are not working at all even if in an extended period of time and sixty percent are in between so it's like the 2080 rule right so the twenty percent of the ants do the eighty percent of the work something like that so the there are hardworking ants the sixty percent are in between twenty percent are don't work at all and what is interesting is if you get rid of those twenty percent that are not working what happens is that the remainder 80% become also becomes 20, 60, 20. So if you exclude the 20% that are non-working, 20% of the remainder starts becoming a non-working ant. So, and actually this doesn't change e even which, which part of the ants you exclude. So if you exclude the 20% that is working, it also becomes 20%, 60%, 20%. So, you know, so this 20, 60, 20 is a kind of a um, universal kind of ratio in ants, no matter which ants you exclude. So that is one finding that I thought was very interesting. And the reason for that is on the next slide, which is very uh, interesting as well, is that each ant has a different uh, threshold point for when to start working. For example, when do you start working uh, looking for food, how hungry do you have to become? Some ants have a very low threshold, meaning if they get a little bit hungry, they start working for looking for food. And some ants have a very high threshold, which means they have to become very hungry until they start working and looking for food. Or the same can be uh, about cleaning the nest, right? So for example, some ants 
start cleaning the nest when it becomes a little bit messy they can't you know they can't stand it they start cleaning and some ants can manage it even if the it's like a mess total mess so their threshold points are different so one of the lessons i think from here is that um you know you don't focus on the people who are not working or the ants who are not working you focus on the stimulus or the special points so uh so that's i think is a very interesting lesson toward management as well don't focus on the people focus on the environment or focus on the stimulus and that way you can make many more more of the ants or the people uh, do productive things stuff right so so that is one uh, lesson I think the ants would tell us. But then the next question is why why is it that you know there are 20% of them that are not working, right? So ants are you know in a very uh, harsh uh, nature environment. Why do they why can they afford you know 20% of the ants not working? And it turns out that those 20% non-working is critical to their sustainability. That's what they found out. And what it is is that the uh, if there is a ant colony or family which has uh, only hardworking ants, so they every ant has a low threshold point. What happens is they would be working all the time, which is good for the short-term productivity. But the ants would get tired, and they would get tired at the same time. And what what it does is it it causes a significant problem in the colony because some of the works for example like licking their eggs they taking care of their eggs every every all the times 24 hours seven days a week somebody has to be taking care of the eggs or else the mold will uh, ruin the eggs which would be they would ruin the next generation so somebody has to be working all the time so in this uh if everybody is working at the same time and everybody gets tired at the same time then nobody would be working at any given time then the you know colony would fail to produce their next generation whereas if the there's a 20 percent that is not working on a regular basis but if the other ants get very tired then they kind of rise up to the occasion and start working because the at that time the nest is in critical situation the threshold point is very high and they start working and that's that's how the you know somebody in the family or the colony is would be working all the time and that is really important for the sustainability so if we kind of think of it in management way that it's it's always good to have all the people working it's always good to have the productivity maximize the productivity it's always good but if you learn from the ants that is not the case if you think about sustainability it's always good to have the 20% who might not be working in a you know standard way or not, might be not be doing meaningful stuff but in the you know very critical situations they are the they are the individuals that kind of keep the uh, thing running which is very important that's really interesting. So you can see a lot of parallels hmm. between this uh, study of ants and and managing people in a workplace. Can you? Right, right, right. So it's kind of very different from what you kind of think in a typical 
management style where you maximize, you know, short-term productivity, profitability, and long-term success is, you know, very different. I think that's true, isn't it? We、mm. all have the image that ants are working hard all the time and、mm. never rest.、Mm. And I think、uh, there is that image that a successful business would be made of everybody working hard all the time.、Mm. But maybe in actuality, when we look at successful businesses, they have more flexibility. Right. And some people working hard, and some people maybe not slacking, but taking a, a little bit off time, a maternity leave,、mm-hmm. childcare, coming back to work, maybe working harder at different times of the day. So supporting each other, having a flexible workspace,、um, having that long-term view, very interesting. Right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. That is our hour. I think we've covered so many different ideas about long-term successful businesses in Japan,、mm-hmm. about、uh, worker ants, and talking about、uh, work mentality and sustainability, as well as some best practice companies who are doing really innovative things, not only in Japan but also abroad in terms、mm-hmm. of their branding. So I think we've learned a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you everybody for joining. That's all for this week, and have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you next week. Take care, Thank everyone.、Bye-bye. Thank you.